Craig Parker Adams is a producer, engineer, and musician who has worked with several artists who have garnered Grammy nominations, like former guest Gabby Moreno and the Alvin Brothers. Today, we talked to Craig about his relationship with the Zappa family and his memories of Frank. Join us for a special year-end episode with our personal sound engineer and our good friend, Craig Parker Adams. So, this is going to be our year-end wrap-up show with my and Bill Cody, the producer of the Chris Kirkwood podcast. This is Chris Kirkwood. Hello, Bill. And finally, on the other side of the glass... Our wonderful friend, Craig Parker Adams of Winslow Court Studios. Hi, guys. Yeah, crazy to be on this side of the glass. <laughs> Very nice to have you on the side of the glass, Craig. And just real quick, just he has worked on six Grammy-nominated uh, or winning records. He's worked with the Alvins, with Gabby Moreno, who we had earlier, with Jack Temkin, uh, John Doe. Um, Tempchen. Tempchen. <laughs> I, I'm it's an Eagles fan, name. but I don't know how to pronounce his name. So he's not just our engineer. He's a you know a producer, a musician, and he's become a good friend. And he's recorded most of the Chris Kirkwood podcast shows <laughs> and has done a hell of a good job of it. Thanks. And has made me feel very comfortable doing it because, uh, as I pointed out before, this was not my idea to be a podcaster. <laughs> I was drugged into this by my dear old pal, Bill Cody. And Bill found Winslow Court Studios. And we've, we've made it through 2015. And Amazing. We've, we've made a bunch of shows. Totally crazy. And one of the things that's made me feel so comfortable here is that in the, uh, in the uh, like, uh, ante room of the studio, there's a very big photograph of Frank Zappa inside of his mobile studio. And I'm a big, big Zappa fan. One of, you know, one of... One of my favorites, and Craig is the. What's the, what would you what's the name of it? you are the? Uh, I'm a guy that that does some uh, mixing of the uh, archive of for the family trust, you know. So uh, Frank's old masters, from varying live or studio performances, and as well as doing the Zappa plays Zappa uh, stuff for Dweezil, as well as other stuff for Dweezil. So, and I, I scored that basically by, you know, almost a better, almost a 30 year friendship with Dweezil is really uh, what got me access to Frank's, you know, archive and catalog. I knew him, I met him, I was lucky enough to meet Frank, um, you know, but how I infiltrated the Zappa world was basically just becoming friends with Dweezil uh, one of my favorite stories, actually, because uh, um, I, I'll just we'll just talk about Zappa for a quick second here. Well, I mean, it's one of the things your connection to Zappa is one of the things that immediately when I came into the studio here, you know, because this is some alien territory for me doing a talk show, right? Yeah. In a way, it's not because I love the sound of my own voice, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've been, you know, I like being in the studios and stuff, but to to see to see that Frank thing there, you know, and then to find out, you know, your connection to the Zappa family. So go ahead. Yeah, you know that that. that that photo, the, the photo that, that Chris is referring to, it's a giant, giant picture that's about maybe six, maybe seven feet wide by three or four feet in height. It's beautiful. It's black and white, and it's a shot of Frank standing inside of his mobile truck, which he used to take around the country and record everything that he did, basically. 
um, outside of the UMRK, his home studio. And so that picture used to be on the wall where I worked. It was an endorsement photo for the Carvin Corporation. Oh, okay. And he was he was uh, endorsing uh, some c- uh, consoles that they use for, I'm assuming, monitor mixes or something that they sent out to the film um, stuff or something along those lines. So anyways, I used to work there in the 90s, and we were going to do some remodeling, and I asked for it, and they gave it to me. So I had that in my living room for years, and I thought, okay, time to bring to the studio. So when I did... It, it really ended up being a great thing because it, that's the that's the main thing that everybody get, gravitates to when they walk in. They go right up to that thing and they go, wow, and they just stare at it. And there's something very calming and creative and awe-inspiring and, you know, reaching, making you want to reach for the highest point. You can, you know, all of that is all in this one photo. I, it's all in the guy's eyes. Oh, I mean, yeah. He's he, fucking Frank. You yeah, know? yeah. He's just giving it to you. So so anyways, um, as far as it being in the studio, uh, that was a good thing. And no matter what style of music people are into, or even if they don't know who Frank is, they still gravitate to that picture. Um, for me, um, I grew up, um, a fan, uh, a forced fan, I should say. I had an older brother that forced me to listen to Zappa when I was a little kid because I couldn't. I he was seven years older and I had no control over the the, the record player in the bedroom, right? Hey. So I had to listen to whatever my brother wanted to play. He turned me on to Zappa stuff. So uh, you know, all these years later, um, this is a really in depth thing. My it, it, it's, this could just go on and on, and I'm trying to think how do, how can I paraphrase this. But I'll try and just just give you these points. Okay, so a little kid, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, on the bedroom floor, listening to varying Zappa records. Okay, jump jump ahead to age thirteen. Um, one day after school, I'm sitting on my bed playing guitar, and my brother puts a cutout of a newspaper clipping in, in front of my face, and he goes, "Here's your competition." And I was 13, and it was a picture of a 12-year-old Dweezil Zappa <laughs> with a new guitar that Eddie Van Halen just gave him. Right. And I thought, you know, this is my nemesis. It's like, that's supposed to be me. You know, right. I was already a huge Edward Van Halen guy at this time, you know. <laughs> um, but um, I didn't dislike Dweezil. I, I, I always admired him, you know. And then when I saw him on, on uh, MTV and I heard him talk, and I mean, I always liked him. So it was never a uh, an animosity thing. So but now I'm going to jump ahead to 1988. I moved to California, get out of high school, and uh, I where did you move here from? From St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay, yeah, West St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, so I'm working at the Guitar Center, and uh, it was almost a year to the day that since I moved to town. And uh, Dweezil came into the Guitar Center, and his usual guy said, I'm going to lunch. My customer's coming in. I need you to take care of him. And so he basically, you know, hey, I, you're going to work with Dweezil. So I know he's coming in, and I'm about to meet him. This is going to be great. And again, long story short, uh, we hit it off immediately. He's like, God, you know so much about me and my playing and my dad's music and all this kind of stuff. And I basically point blank asked him, I, I told him, I said, look, you know, I just moved to town um, and I don't really have many friends and I would really like to be your friend. <laughs> and he goes, sure, I'll be your friend. And he gave me his phone number. And that was literally almost 30 years ago. <laughs> That's nice of him. And, and he subjected me to almost all the cool experiences I've had in my musical life have yeah. really been gifts through him. 
he, he gave me access to things that I would never have experienced. And one of those things was his dad. So the first day him and Dweezil and I hang out, he drives me up to the house. Oh, boy. I'm standing in the, in the kitchen. It's about 4.30 in the afternoon, and in walks Frank in a robe. He oh, just boy. woke up. It's like, you know, 4 in the 4.35, whatever it is. He just walks in, and I'm standing there. And I'd already seen Frank in 1984. Um, I, I saw him play. I bought my brother uh, uh, tickets for his uh, wedding gift. So I had seen Frank live. Uh, but anyways, now I'm standing in his kitchen, and he's right in front of me. <laughs> in a bathrobe. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was incredible. And uh, then that just started this friendship. And, uh, you know, we used to, Dweezil and I would be sitting in the studio playing out in the main room, and Frank would be in the control room working at the Sinclair right behind the glass, um, you know, listening to us play. Or I used to stand over his shoulder while he's at the Sinclair and and just watch him work ask him stupid questions. He was always really nice to me. Um, very, very kind, very generous. He signed a lot of things for my friends and, and never, I never asked for anything for me, but you know, he did things for me to help others. And, you know, it was really uh, just amazing. Um, you know, I, I can remember just sitting next to him and, and him showing me things on the Sinclair and he played for me the yellow shark and actually gave me a cassette copy, his, uh, you know, his in-studio cassette copy of the record before it was done. This is the last thing he was working on before he passed away. And uh, I sat there at the console, in, you know, up there at, at the studio, and he was playing, uh, I think it might have been G-Spot Tornado or something, off, something else off of this record he was working on. But through this computer, you know, which is now kind of Pro Tools and everything else, which is normal, back then this kind of thing was brand new. And so, you know, to be able to have this firsthand proximity, uh, to ask the guy questions, to listen to what he was doing, to actually sit down and have him pick up a guitar and play right next Oof. to you. Yeah. Even Dweezil, I remember, because I, I, when that happened, I remember my first initial thing was like, wow, this is a great gift. And then my next thought was, look how I was watching Dweezil, because he also, too, if this was a gift for him as well. Frank wasn't playing guitar really at all at this time. You know? right. So I knew it was really something special. And, you know, like I said, almost 30 years later, and I mean, so many stories and so many generous uh, experiences and things. And so uh, I ended up s- sliding into the role and getting this opportunity of a lifetime, really. Yeah. Uh, by that. And um, anyways, the stories go on. But uh, that's that's how I got my foot in and, and how I was even a contender for, hey, you want to work on something of Frank's? Fucking hey. You know, yeah. that that was it. It, wow. was, it was... How very fucking cool. Through Dweezil. I met Dweezil once. Uh, I think it was like the first or second year, maybe he was doing the Dweezil, uh, Zappa Play Zappa. Came through Phoenix, you know, where I live. And, and uh, I knew the... The uh, promoter that putting on the show, and he asked me, you know, you know, to meet Dweezil, and I was like, sure, sure, definitely. Went backstage, and he was a real sweet guy. You yeah. know, I noticed that, like, real handsome. I thought, you know? oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> good looking guy, you totally. know, like yeah. real soft hands, <laughs> you know, and a fucking hell of a good guitar player. Oh, yeah. And I remember that story, that real, real sweet story, like you're talking about when your brother put the picture of of of, of uh, Dweezil with you know his new Eddie Van Halen guitar. I remember. Here, you know, hearing that story when it happened, like Dweezil, uh, you know, growing up with his dad's fucking Frank Zappa, right? But he loves Eddie Van Halen, you know, totally. and and Frank recognized 
Eddie as somebody that was doing something, you know, bitching with a guitar and decided to, to meet him, had him come over to the house and, you know, and, and, uh, Dweezil was starstruck. Okay. You know, I remember that. Right. Yep. And then that night I saw them play that, uh, Zappa plays Zappa. He did that eruption, that, you know, stuff. And he played that on a guitar that, that was like maybe the new, maybe it was the new Dweezil version of the guitars. Some, you know, somewhere there was a connect there with Eddie, you know, and it's this one particular guitar, you know. Yeah, it's the yellow and black Charvel. I know the one you know? you're talking about. So he yeah. played it on that, that, you know. And, and, and of course, you know, I couldn't help but be like, Oh, geez. So it's nice meeting you. Now, about your dad, you know what I mean? There's a little bit of that kind of thing, you know, most definitely. Um, but I mean, because Frank to me, the closest I got to Frank is, uh, uh, is one time I got asked by maybe it was Rhino or somebody, somebody that was putting out some of it, you know. Oh, Ryko does. Or Ryko, you know, yeah. was putting out something. And they asked me and a couple other, like, guys, I think maybe, they, maybe it was. Trey from Fish, a few other people, right? Like to, to give him a quote about Frank, right? And uh, and then years later, friends of mine actually got me, like, took it out of a magazine and had it like framed and gave me this thing, you know, because you know I really like Frank, and, and and it had my little quote in there. My quote was, "Frank Zappa is one of the people that taught me that rock and roll didn't have to suck." <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, wow. guy goes deep with me, you know. So, and 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 speaking of Dweezil. Anytime you want, <laughs> let Dweezil know that we'd fucking love to have him on the show. Sure. We'd love to have him on the on the Chris Kirkwood podcast. And, uh, you know, the Chris Kirkwood podcast has become, I like saying that, the Chris Kirkwood podcast yeah. has become a really fun thing to, for me to do. And you've been a really big part of that, Greg. A oh, really, thanks. really big part of it, yeah. you know, so... Well, I'm, I'm glad you all uh, came here. It was great to meet Bill when I did. Actually, Bill and I met years ago when he came in to do an interview with Exine here on another film that he was working on, so it was great to reconnect. Two-Headed Cow, starring the flat duo Jets and Dexter Romweber. There you go. With Jack White. So... case. Anyway. So, yeah, What's so up, Dex? Bill, Bill and I ran into each other at a uh, at a gallery with a, a, a fellow uh, friend, common friend, and, and so uh, when he mentioned this, uh, I, I, I'm really grateful just for the artists that you all have been bringing through, you know, my spot, and hearing all your stories and their stories, and... I mean, this is really just what it what it all is about, it's, you know. Just it's been creativity, neat. you know. You know, it's been interesting. I mean, that's that's it's something that I've just like just doing it, like you know, being the the host of the fucking thing or whatever. You know, it's got my name on it, whatever that kind of thing. But you know, it's it's been a little intimidating, but I found it to be really really interesting because of that. You know, yeah. getting to meet different people, and then just Bill was kind of right. I'm kind of yakety, you know, or, uh, enough. And to be to just like meet these folks and then to chat with them about stuff, you know, and the and the That's awesome. And Bill's done a hell of a good job. I mean, Bill's made this happen completely. I told him that was the one con the, my one stipulation when we started the thing. I said, okay, I'll do it, but you have to do fucking everything. Oh, he's hustling his ass off. <laughs> Except me, I'll come over and be me. I'll sit there. He's like, just be yourself, and I'm like, you know, they ain't a whole hell of a lot else I can be. You know, and but I told him, you know, you take care of absolutely everything else, and he's done that, you know, and yeah. and now here we are, you know. Well, I don't know that because uh, I know we're going to stop this real quick, and I don't know that you guys will ever. I'll be talking to you again at any time, but I just want to share this because if, if if you do end up or if we air this, is just a story for uh, people about Frank. I won't get too specific about it because I never actually shared it with the youngest daughter, Diva. Uh -huh. um, for those of you who don't know, there's four kids for the, the Zappas. Um, 
and the youngest is uh, Dweezil's youngest uh, sister's name is Diva. And anyways, when I first became friends, and this is something I've always wanted to tell her, someday I will, um, but I just want people to know this little side story you may not know about Frank Zappa or what kind of person he could or couldn't be. But um, for all the times that I was around the house or over there or hanging out at the studio, and, and it was often back in those days, I used to spend pretty much daily with wow. Weasel. Um, but one time uh, I happened to be, it was just me, Frank, and Gail in a room uh, in the kitchen. They were just installing this new kitchen at the time. But anyways, um, I actually saw Frank like snap and like, get aggro angry in in, in the situation and it was really crazy to experience but it was kind of a beautiful thing in retrospect and basically what it was is that gail scheduled an attorney meeting at a time where frank had a set time every week where he would watch the simpsons with his daughter and she scheduled something that interfered on that time and he snapped and I was just this kid, this teenager, kind of this, you know, friend of the family, kind of just off in the corner going, whoa, watching this thing. And he was doing it for his daughter. And I just thought, God, that's beautiful. Nothing would stand in his way with his time to watch Simpsons with his little girl. And I just thought, how cool is that? Aww. You know, you don't see that rock star vibe out of him. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but that was something beautiful, I thought. So I just wanted to share that. Just That's it. You know, and, and I mean... What he named his kids says a lot about the guy, right? There's, there's Dweezil. Yeah, Amit. There's Amit. Moon. There's Moon Unit. Yeah. <laughs> and Diva. And Diva. And, uh, you know, we were definitely pretty heavily influenced by, by Frank. And uh, my brother, at one point, and his girlfriend were going to have kids. And it came down to that they were actually going to have twins, as it turned out. Right? So... My brother's kids came an ass hair away from being named uh, Burger King and Sweet Pea. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't. They wound up being named Elmo and Catherine. But but they both have seven names. That's one thing that, you know, that still came out of it. There's Elmo, Isaac, Dillinger, Dean, Samuel, Sinbad, Kirkwood, and Catherine, Louisa, St. Elmo, Amelia, Violet, Presley, Kirkwood, <laughs> which cool. is iambic pentameter, right? So there's a, there's a Shakespearean ode there, you know, a wow. nod to the fucking classics as well. So, wow. well, what a treat. Well, thank you so much for having us in the studio Thanks, so much, man. And, you know, Appreciate it. let's just keep doing it. We'll keep Into doing it some year. more. 2016. 2016. I'll tell you, we had a little bit of snobbery when we first played with Frank Zappa. Your dad, Tommy, and I were on the first Lumpy Gravy album, and everybody there was putting Frank down, Zappa, and including your dad, including me, until he pulled out the music, and we looked at that music and said, whoa. Now, we had some classical uh, symphony musicians playing in the group. He had a bassoon player, bass clarinet player. I remember those two specifically. They were very snobby and said, this music is unplayable. And Frank says, well, can't you at least try? And we're all laughing because Frank had long hair, a long beard, and we're all kind of laughing at him, putting him down. And these two guys didn't want to know. They didn't want to even touch the music. And Frank says, if I pick up my guitar and play your part, will you? can I prove to you that it's playable? Impossible, it's not playable. 
So Frank picks up the guitar and he's playing, and your your dad and I go behind him and we're looking at the music and we said, "Son of a bitch, he's playing that music," and we all respected Frank right away, man. And we told everybody, "Shut up, be quiet, listen to this guy. He knows what he's talking about." Another real funny thing happened on those sessions. Frank got us psychologically. He says to Tommy, he says. Can you play that fast, that part faster than Emil can on xylophone? Can you do that faster on guitar? He says, hell yeah. I said, no way. And your dad bet on there, come on, put up $100 right now. I'll play that faster than you. He said, no, no, both of you play it together as fast as you can play it. So we did, we played it and he's trying to beat me and I'm trying to beat him. He says, wait a minute, turn the tapes on. And we recorded this a couple of phrases that Frank wanted to hear as fast as possible. When the album came out, Frank sped that up. The, the ones that we played faster than we thought we could even play, those were the tracks he sped up. But that's how he got us. 